You're listening to the Business and Life Conversations podcast with Angela Henderson, episode 74. Hey there, you're listening to the Business and Life Conversations podcast. My name is Angela Henderson, and on this show, we talk about improving your business, life, or both by having amazing and rich conversations with brilliant guests who will inspire you and who will give you tips and tricks to help you grow both in life and in business. Well, hey there, amazing peeps, and welcome back to another awesome episode of the Business and Life Conversations podcast. I am your host, Angela, from Angela Henderson Consulting, where I am a business consultant helping women in business to develop the foundational framework and strategy they need to grow sustainable and profitable businesses. Hiring. Hiring is a hot topic and something I get asked about every single week, either from my one-to-one coaching clients, in my group coaching program, Profit Pillars with Angela Henderson, or even inside my Facebook community, the Australian Business Collaborative. I get asked questions like, how to hire? Should I go contractor or employee? What benefits do I have to give them? Uh, Should I hire in-country or should I hire overseas? Now, I'm no lawyer, so I point people here in Australia to fairwork.gov.au. And for those that live internationally, I always say it's really important that you go to the particular country and or state that you live in because the rules and guidelines can be very different. So it's really important that, again, I never give advice because it's really important that, yeah, I'm not a lawyer and you need to seek legal advice specifically because this is a super important matter. And of course, as I get these questions, I equally hear about some horrific business mistakes that have happened by business owners simply because they didn't know what they didn't know. But if there's one thing I do know, that's running a business is hard as fuck. And when it comes to hiring, it is double hard as fuck. Because as small business owners, we must at times... When we're looking at investing, we have little money to invest in order to grow our business. And collectively, what this means is every single dollar we spend as small business owners on finding and hiring a new staff member, our new employee, new contractor can have a direct impact on both our business short and long term. And when that has an impact, it's either going to help us be successful or not be successful. So it is imperative to avoid making any major mistakes when hiring contractors or employees. So if you can't tell how passionate I am about this topic, I hope you're picking up on that vibe. And I'm super excited to bring on Joanne from 3D HR Legal, who is a lawyer with a wealth of knowledge, who is going to talk with us today about the five big mistakes that businesses make when hiring. Um, She's also going to be talking to us and chatting about why businesses are making these mistakes when hiring, what are the benefits of businesses taking time to understand how to best hire. And she's also going to walk us through the five big mistakes that businesses make, but she's also going to tell us ways to avoid these mistakes. So get ready. It is a jam-packed, super important episode for any business owner out there. Uh, So let's get ready to rumble. But before we jump into this particular episode, I just want to let you know that this episode is sponsored by my new on-demand business masterclass, the ultimate four-step framework for creating a sustainable and profitable business. In my 60-minute jam-packed masterclass, you're going to learn my signature four-step framework for creating a sustainable and profitable business without sacrificing times with your kids, without the overwhelm, or without wasting any more cash. I'm also going to dive deep into the four big business mistakes that pretty much everyone in business makes and why they're keeping you from growing a sustainable and profitable business. And lastly, I touch briefly on what is working for businesses now and why most of what you're being taught about growing a business is outdated and or wrong. To sign up for my on-demand masterclass, you can head to bit.ly, bit.ly backslash masterclass with Angela Henderson. Again, that link is bit.ly, B-I-T, full stop L-Y, backslash masterclass with Angela Henderson. And I'll provide that link 
also in the show notes. All right, let's get ready for today's episode. Welcome to the show, Joe. Thanks, Ange. I'm so excited to be here. Excited to have you here. Uh, you're over in WA. How is it over there today? We have a beautiful cloudy day, but I have a great outlook looking at lots of trees. So it always looks beautiful. Gosh, it sounds pretty amazing and pretty lush. Uh, here in Queensland, it is a beautiful, like, yeah, again, we're very lucky to live where we live. It's a very warm, beautiful blue sky day. So yes, it is. And I'm super excited at time of recording. It is a Friday. So we'll be going into uh, yeah the weekend, which I'm super excited about. So yes. Always good to have some time out. You do, totally. Now, before we get into today's episode, where we're going to be talking about the five big mistakes that businesses make when hiring, I always like to ask kind of a fun question so that my audience gets a chance to know you a little bit better. So my question to you is, I know you love podcasts. I think initially we met at We Are Podcast here in Brisbane a couple of years ago. So my question to you today is, what is your all-time favorite podcast and why? Oh, that's so mean. I was so nervous about this question because obviously I've listened to your podcast and, and, and heard some of the other questions you've asked other people. But I, it, I don't know. I don't know if any podcast listener can, can name a favourite. I listen to so many. Um, I tend to listen to a lot of business-related ones, obviously, having a, and that's what led me to podcasts in the first place. Um, I think it changes. Um, I would have to... Perhaps one of the first that I ever got started on, maybe that's where I should start. And it's the Happy Happy Lawyer, Happy Life podcast by my good friend Clarissa Raywood in She's in Brisbane, isn't she? Yeah, she is in Brisbane. Um, and it's one of the things that got me inspired to know that as a lawyer I could actually do podcasting. Mm-hmm. So I'd have to name that one. All right, fantastic. And she's a remarkable lady. Uh, she's done some wonderful things from a, again, and I'm not a lawyer, but again, being around lawyers in that law space, yes. uh, really turning things upside down, but in such a proactive and positive way. So no, fantastic choice, I'd say. Now, for those of you, obviously, we're now talking about lawyers. Uh, people must be catching on that you might just be a lawyer, Joe. So can you take a moment and tell us a little bit about Joe, who you are, what you do and what your business is? Sure. And yes, I should say, yes, I am a lawyer and <laughs> stop listening just because of that. Um, exactly. No, they, they want to stick around because this is a super important topic about hiring and how this impacts your business. So you, you actually want to embrace the lawyer here today. Yeah. So I didn't always know that I was going to be a lawyer. I had a few people who, you know, suggested it, but I really wanted to be in business, ended up doing a law commerce degree and found myself in the beautiful land of employment law, which I love because it's all about the human side of work. Um, And as far as I'm concerned, it's often the second most important relationship that someone has in their life, second to their partner. Mm -hmm. So I worked in big law for a while. And then about three and a half years ago, I started my own business, had a few kids along the way, And I noticed women leaving their careers and I was so sad that, you know, women felt that in order to, you know, be the best mum that they could be, that they needed to leave their career. So I started mentoring a little bit and it ultimately led to me starting a podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, And the two things have kind of combined to create the business that I have today, working with, you know, small and medium businesses to really help them prosper, you know, and build their business in the way that they want with a thriving culture. Mm-hmm. And do you think, so also, can you talk to us a little bit about how you incorporate the law side of things with your podcast and just mention your podcast for those that are listening? 
Sure. It's called the juggle um, because it's all about that juggle between having a, you know, successful career and a fulfilling family life because, you know, that's what my co-host Lucy and I, you know, really believe that we can have. Um, We both do and we know others who do. So we love sharing their stories and we incorporate the law into it because every now and then it's really helpful to sort of you know, share with employees, you know, how you can go about, you know, asking for flexible arrangements or, you know, trying something different at work. And we love bringing on employers who are actually doing things differently and, and having them share with everyone, you know, how they, how they can make it work for women um, who are trying to balance out or, you know, integrate their family and their work life. And I think, uh, I can't remember the podcast episode, but you brought on a wonderful lady who, a small business owner, a lot of her friends kind of saying, nope, you can't do this, you can't do this. But she really wanted to make it part of her business and part of what she stands for about being able to pay her employees um, maternity leave is what it was. Yeah, Yeah, um, that's Vicky Beaumont. Yeah, and I think that is pretty wonderful because if there's a will, there's a way. But so often we get deterred because it's a little bit harder. You've got to figure things out. But uh, Cherie from Digital Picnic also uh, really embraces that. She does a phenomenal way with her employees. Uh, And yeah, so it's always lovely to see women being able to find a way. I agree. So important. Now today, let's let's just kind of be honest. We've all fucked up at some (laughs) stage, right, when hiring in business, all right? Uh, to me, when it comes to hiring, I feel so many businesses, especially kind of in that startup phase, which doesn't discount those who have been around for years, we're just pretty much winging it, I think, at the beginning. Again, I think it's one of those times we are trying to survive. Uh, however, making mistakes around hiring, Joe, as you know, in some instances could cost businesses listening their actual business. Mm. Um, and that's why I'm glad to have you on here today so that we can really talk about the five big mistakes that businesses are making uh, potentially when they're hiring and what they need to look out for. Now, I guess my first question that I want to kind of start off with is, why do you think businesses are making so many mistakes when hiring. Obviously, there's that element that we just talked about. People are just winging it. People might not know what they don't know. But what are some of the common patterns or trends you've seen uh, throughout the years of doing what you do? I think it's, you know, commonly when you're dealing with business owners, you know, we all get into business because we're an expert in what we do. You know, we're not an expert in running a business. So the typical things that come up for us are we're not an expert at managing our finances and we're also not an expert in being HR manager. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, you get on with running the business and you don't have the time to learn all the different skills for all of those different pieces of the business. So it's so important to, you know, get the skills where you need them, whether it's a business coach or something else. Mm-hmm. And then I think people rush in. So they get to a certain point with their business and they say, oh, wow, I could really do with another pair of hands. Um, or I'm really not that good at this. I'd really like some, someone else who's got some more skill to do it. And they just make a really reactive decision. Mm-hmm. They're too quick. Um, and too quick means you don't take the care that you need and, you know, it causes problems. Yes. And sometimes as we know, big problems, Joe, big problems. Big problems. Yeah. So in regards to, we won't talk about so much about the problems yet. We're about to get there, but what are some of the benefits of businesses taking time to truly understand how to best hire someone? Like what have you seen uh, again for those businesses that blossom and they soar because they've taken that extra time? Yeah. Okay. Good question. Um, the benefits are definitely, the first thing that comes to mind is that old expression, one bad apple, you know, spoils the bunch. Yes. And so for, for me, it's like, if you get the right people in there, then you, you're not going to have that spoiling option. 
and you'll create a beautiful, thriving culture. You know, everyone's on the same page. Everyone's got, um, you know, the, the same goals for the organisation and they know where they need to go and how they fit in and they just work together in that beautiful team dynamic. And therefore, like, again, I'm assuming like retention stays, they're not having to pay yes. as much money also as in regards to like advertising and hiring and doing all yes. that because, again, they've put in those mechanisms and, you know, I mean, nurtured that right from the beginning. Yeah, because if you don't do it right the first time, then you're going to have to do it again. So again, exactly, again, again, and again, again. And again, yeah. And turn like just turnover is just so expensive. I mean, there's some incredible statistics around um, the cost of hiring a new person, and I've heard of them people saying that the cost of hiring a new person is up to seventy percent of someone's annual salary. Mm-hmm. Factor in the cost of going through the recruitment process and then the training period of time as well. Yes, which I would I would totally agree. It would have to be some really high because not to mention your time and energy, right? Like that's just a financial figure, not to mention, yeah, like everything else that goes into that. Yes. And then, you know, the other benefit is if you get the hiring right at the start, it will save you time and it will save you money. Whereas if you get the wrong person, it's just going to cost you time and money. And it might be fixing up mistakes of an employee or supervising them to a level that you just didn't anticipate. Mm -hmm. Or it might be that they screw up badly and you've got clients leaving. So then you're spending time trying to, you know, fix up those, those client relationships or they might not be fixable. So then you have to go find new clients to increase your revenue. And I also have a saying like when I work with my own uh, one-to-one coaching clients or my group coaching clients that they're like, oh, this VA isn't working or this isn't working. I'm like, "Mm," I kind of go like that scenario. It's like you're pointing one finger at someone, but there's three fingers pointing back at you. (laughs) And I always, you know, and even though we talk about, okay, we need to really look at, and we'll talk more about this later, but like your policies, your procedures, your manuals, your protocols, like and all that. And they're and like having a position description, you know, and like you said, we'll get into more of that. But I'm like, if you haven't created that, then really like the only one to blame is you. And I, I genuinely believe that the majority of VAs, and that's just an example of VAs, but just contractors or employees, unless they've got a really bad attitude or they just, it's not their zone of genius for what you've hired them for. I really think the majority of that comes back on us as business owners, but yet we're so easy to say like, oh, it was the VA or it was this person's fault. But I'm like, actually, we need to take a a lot of that responsibility on our shoulders. And a lot of that comes from just being like freaked out in the moment. Oh my God, I've got all these problems and I don't know where to start and where to fix it. And quick, I'm just going to, I need a different person. Yeah. Quick, quick, quick. What do we do? So now if we start looking at kind of those, I'd love for you to really break down what are the five big mistakes that businesses make when hiring and then give us a counteractive, I guess, thing or a different approach about what can they do to ensure this doesn't happen. So can you kind of start with mistake number one? Sure. Mistake number one is kind of what we just touched on, not hiring the right people. Okay. So you've just, you know, brought the wrong person into your organization, whether that's their skills or they're um, they're not a good fit. Um, you know, maybe you brought them on as full-time when you should have brought them on as part-time. So it's just not quite right. Okay. And the answer for that one is take your time. So I like to say hire slow. Um, and that might mean that you're in a situation in your business where you're not actually ready to hire yet, but you should start thinking about it now. You know, mm-hmm. start thinking about if I was going to hire someone or looking at all of your duties and tasks and things that you do on a daily basis, what is it that you would be easily able to move off to somebody else? Mm-hmm. So I like to suggest to everyone, particularly if they're ready to really start thinking about hiring, 
that they sit down um, with a piece of paper and, you know, why not make it a really big one and some colourful markers and do a big brain dump and just think of three particular things, the tasks or the the outputs that you want the person to produce, um, the skills, (coughs) excuse me, the skills, the experience, the qualifications, you know, what do they need? Is there some sort of special um, license that they have to have? And then the third thing is think about the attitude and behavior. Like are you a, you know, really fun, you know, raging kind of environment or are you needing more people to be more calm and measured? Um, Is it about their work ethic? You know, what kind of attitude and behavior do you expect from them? No, that's brilliant. And I, I couldn't agree more. There's nothing better than putting pen to paper and doing a really great brain dump. Yeah. Um, and also I really like, I'm going to just touch upon one of the things is, yeah, I too get a lot of my coaching clients just to start writing a list every time they do something and just yes. like do nothing more than just write the list. And then in our sessions, we'll then look at those and go, okay, what is it that is your zone of genius that you need to hang on to at this given moment? What is it that you could let something go to someone else? And what is it that you're actually doing tasks that or you're, you should not be doing. Like you should be just backing away because you're screwing things up. And we kind of break <laughs> them down. Um, and then from that, you know, we do some other things from there. But yeah, so now fantastic. Now, mistake number two. All right. Number two is a big one. And it is when you incorrectly classify someone as either a, well, you incorrectly classify them as the contractor. That's typically where the problem comes from. So you're kind of looking at this person that you need to hire and you're thinking, oh, am I going to have an employee or am I going to have a contractor? Yep. A lot of people will sort of get really scared about the idea of having an employee. They worry that they're going to get stuck with that person or they're worried about all the admin that goes with having an employee, like the payroll and the superannuation. So they think, okay, I need someone, but I'm just going to make them a contractor because then it's just an ABN and I just have to pay them a set amount and it's easy. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately... I was going to say, but I felt like there was a butt coming, Joe. Yeah. So contractors are awesome. There's there, there's definitely a right time and place to have them in your business. But if they are actually in reality an employee, then that's what they are. So it doesn't actually matter what you put in writing or what you say to each other. If the reality is that they are an employee, that that's all the law cares about. So they won't look at, you know, if you've written a document that says, hey, you're my contractor and I'm going to pay you $30 an hour. They'll look at the whole relationship and they'll say, oh, you know what? You're actually not a contractor. You're an employee and you should have been paid things like annual leave or sick leave or you should have been paid these other allowances under an award. And then that person will have the right to claim those things from you. Mm-hmm. So how do we go? What should we be doing to start assessing? If I know there's like tools online that you can assess if they're a contractor and that, but I also think those t- tools can be a little bit misleading, right? Like I think it's like, it's a great way potentially to start to figure out, but I still don't know. I don't know if I trust the whole tool situation online. Can you walk yeah. us through that? I think you're right. You know, the tools is only really as good as the person using it. So if you don't have some of the background knowledge, you can convince yourself in the direction. I swear this is a contractor. I'm good to go. (laughs) And I've filled in this little form and it says that they are, so that's what they are. Yeah, no, it doesn't work that way. Um, But you're right. There's a checklist. Um, You can find one of those on the ATO website. Um, And effectively it comes down to a few things and, you know, they ask you, is it this or is it that? And you have a yes, no, and you add up the ticks and that'll tell you what they are. The key ones to look at are, you know, are they paid by the hour or are they paid by result? So if someone's paid by the hour, they're more likely to be an employee, but not all the time. 
Okay, yeah. This is where it gets confusing. Um, then you look at things like how much direction are you giving that person? Are you telling them minutely how to do the job or are you just kind of handing it over and saying, go do it, I want you to achieve this result but you can do it any way you like? Yep. So the more direction, the more likely to be an employee. Okay, yeah. Um, do you get them to personally do the work or do you say to them, again, this is the job I want you to do but if you want to get your sister, your brother, some other contractor to do the work, that's fine. I just care that you get the result done. Uh-huh. If you want them to personally do it, more likely to be an employee. Okay, yep. Um, look at things like who fixes the problem. So if they stuff up, uh, do you then have to pay them extra to fix it? You know, are you paying them on that hourly rate? Or if they stuff up, do you just go back to them and say, well, you did it wrong and therefore you need to fix it, but I'm not paying you anymore to do it? Yep. And which one is which? So if you are paying them to fix the problem or you're taking responsibility for the problem that they cause, then they're more likely an employee. Okay, yep. And the other two last ones to finish, um, one, do you promote them as being part of your business? So do they have a business card with your branding on it? Do they wear a uniform with your branding on it? Does everyone know them as working for Angela Henderson Consulting? Or does or is this person just clearly separate with their own separate business? Mm-hmm. And that kind of leads into that. That's pretty obvious. I think, you know, obviously if they're branded as you, you, they're more likely to be considered to be an employee. employee yeah. Um, and that leads into the last one, which is just a general idea of, you know, is this person actually working to build your business or are they actually working to build their own business? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it's kind of, they call it in some ways the entrepreneur test. You know, is this person just coming in and helping you create and build your own or are they creating goodwill in their own business? So, for example, a graphic designer, you know, are they coming in and just working for your business and they're so busy working for your business that no one actually knows them as having their own business? Yeah. Um, Or are they, you know, using you as um, one client and then testimonials and so on? Right. And isn't it too, like, again, I don't know, but I swear I read this somewhere that if they are, um, how was my question going to go? If they are working, like if they're a contractor, but they work more than, is it 20 hours? There's the 80-20 rule. Yeah. Yeah. So they say if they're working more than 80% of their time for you, then they're more likely to be an employee. Employee. Yeah. Like, whereas if they have like, say 10 other clients, yeah, they're doing X, Y, and Z. But if it was something that if you're there, like, yeah, the majority of the work is for you and they're only having a few other clients, but those clients only make up yet yeah, 25% and you're 75%, then yeah, that is, yeah. So the 80, 20 rule. Yeah. That's an 80, 20 rule. It's, the ATO um, rules, the, the difficult thing about this is that there is different rules for whether someone's a contractor or an employee for tax purposes. There's different rules for superannuation purposes and there's different rules for industrial relation purposes. Sure. So just because they're a contractor from a tax perspective doesn't mean they that you don't have to pay superannuation and that's a really common one that comes up. So um, a lot of people who are performing personal services as a contractor, you're still obliged as a business to be paying them superannuation. Okay, yep, good to know. Yeah. Good to know. And do you have an example that someone could, so for those listeners out there going, okay, I need a bit more, what would an example be? Okay, so you've got an employee who is coming in to your office and doing. Um, so is this an employee or a contractor? They're a contractor. Yeah. So you've, you've called them a contractor, you're paying them $30 an hour and they're coming in three hours a week to do cleaning for your business. Sure. 
Um, if that's what they're doing, then it's just predominantly personal services. There's a little bit of, um, and this is where it gets complicated, there's like five different tests, um, but it could be that, you know, if they're not providing much by way of tools and equipment and it's mainly just the personal service that they're providing in terms of their labour, uh-huh. then you could kind of look at that cleaner and say, oh, you know, say, for example, you might be providing the cleaning products and cleaning tools and they just come in and do the cleaning. In that case, you would probably be having to pay them superannuation. Mm -hmm. Uh, The way to get around that is if that cleaning contractor is a proprietary limited company, and I know you've talked about companies on the podcast before. Yes, yeah, 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 no, cool. Whereas if they're just a sole trader and they've just got an ABN, then super is probably going to be an issue. Okay, yep, no, fantastic. These are all good things to know. So mistake number three. Yeah. Number three, when we're talking about employees, is that you don't meet the, you're not meeting the legal requirements. So there's a lot of, um, the majority of businesses in Australia, there's a few exceptions over here in WA because we like to do things differently. <laughs> yep. uh, we're c- covered by the Fair Work Act. Um, and in addition to that, there's a whole lot of modern awards that apply as well. So the common mistake is that people will sort of say, hey, I'm just paying this really great high hourly rate and therefore it's over award and I don't need to worry about all of these little bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. And that's not actually true. So if an award does apply to your business, you need to be complying with that award and those minimum conditions. So, you know, it might be an allowance for being the first aid officer, or it might be an allowance for supervising three other staff members, um, or it might be an allowance for, you know, um, working with chemicals, something like that. There's all sorts of different things in awards. Um, And if you aren't going to be paying those, then the only way you can not pay them is by modifying the award in writing in the way that the award tells you you're allowed to. So you have to look at the individual award and say, oh, you know, I don't want to pay these five different things. I just want to pay one flat rate. And then you have to work out how you can put that in writing to make it okay. Right. And how do people avoid this? So the first thing is take a look at your minimum standards, which are in the Fair Work Act, they're otherwise called the National Employment Standards and there's 10 things and they'll be things like minimum, um, maximum hours of work, annual leave, personal leave, uh, flexible working arrangements. They're all set out in the NES Mm -hmm. Um, and you can find a summary of that on the Fair Work Ombudsman website. Okay. I would direct everyone who's new to hiring to go and check out that website. They've got some really useful resources and that is www.fairwork.gov.au. A little bit of warning here, there are some other privately owned websites that have Fair Work in them and a lot of people have been caught out going to corporate websites and not the government one. So make sure you are using the .gov.au. .gov.au, fantastic. We'll make sure that yeah. we have that particular link in the show notes too. So yeah, yeah, cool. And then when you're there, there's also another one of these beautiful, not so beautiful online quizzes, which will help you work out in a full, if an award applies to your particular business. Um, read the summaries, work out the award, and, and actually awards can be difficult to read, but, you know, take some time, you know, grab a drink, cup of coffee, cup of tea, whatever suits you, and just have some clear headspace to, to read through it so you actually know what it says and what you're supposed to be complying with. And then once you've got that bit of information, you know, maybe um, talk it over with somebody else. 
and go from there. Fantastic. Yeah. All right. Mistake number four. I know for some of you listening out there, you might think, holy shit, I'm going to need a cocktail after this. Or you're rocking in the corner. <laughs> but I think it's really important. This is, again, I talk about people's mindsets and that you can either hide and end this podcast and pretend that you've never heard any of this. Or again, you just keep listening, start piecing it together and really start taking ownership of your business and what needs to really happen so that you're being proactive and you're doing the right things from the beginning. Because uh, again, I believe people's businesses, success and failures come down to you as business owners. So uh, I always say you've got choices, either listen and take action or don't, but just know that there's probably a consequence that will eventually catch up to you. Yeah, all right. And mistake number four. Number four is not setting clear expectations or not managing expectations. So effectively, I mean, communicate. Um, so you know what you want, like you've written your brain dump and you've gone on, oh, this is what I want this person to do. But unless you've actually told them, it could be um, a complete mismatch of expectations. Mm-hmm. And are you talking more about like position description or are you talking about post when they're hired or what do you mean a little bit more about that, Joe? Yeah. So I, one of the things that comes up for me sometimes is I get the employers who say to me, oh, you know, I've got this employee and she comes in, she's due to start at nine o'clock and she comes waltzing in at nine o'clock and then she puts a bag down and goes to the kitchen and makes a cup of tea and then she turns the computer on, then she says hi to all her friends. And by the time she's actually doing any work, it's like quarter past 20 past nine and she's supposed to start at nine. And so I said, okay, well, what's your expectations? And they're like, well, I want her to start at nine because I'm paying her from nine. I'm not paying her to chit-chat, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yep. And I'm like, okay, well, have you told them that? And they're like, well, isn't it obvious? And I'm like, no, it's not no, obvious. No, that's the problem. We think it is, but it isn't. <laughs> so a lot of that comes down to, you know, communicating. And I, I think that you need a combination of written communication and verbal communication. So I recommend that you have, you know, you, you go back to the brain dump that we talked about like you said, and you change that into a job description. And then you also make sure that you've got a contract, a written contract of employment. Um, you know, there's obvious things to put in there, like how much you're going to pay them and what hours they're going to work. But there's also things people don't think about, like how much notice do you need to give them if you're going to terminate the employment? A lot of people don't want to think about the end when they're yeah. But it's so important. And another thing, you know, you talked before about protecting your business. If you're, you know, um, have a lot of client relationships and you're getting your employee to get involved with them, you've got to protect that. So you've got to think about some restraints as well. And the only way you can get those restraints is if you've got it in a written contract. There's no, you know, law out there that just says that you can't sort of steal someone's clients when you leave their employment. Um, so if you want that, you need to put it in a contract. Right. Yeah. So again, really being clear about expectations pretty much across the board. What do you want? What are you doing? Et cetera. And how, what's the best way for them to kind of counteract this? You've talked about the brain dump, Yeah. um, but is there anything in particular that they should be doing? Uh, I think there's, again, there's a couple of great templates and starting points on that Fair Work website. So Mm -hmm. you can start there if you want to get an idea of what things should look like. So get a good job description up, get a good employment contract up. And then the other thing that, you know, we've we've talked about too is this idea of behaviour, like that person who comes in at, you know, waltzes in and doesn't start till 20 past nine. Well, put something in a code of conduct, you know, what are the behaviours in the workplace? Some people funk that up a little bit and call it house rules or a culture code. Um, You know, what are your values? Um, And, you know, really distill from those values how you want people to behave and then train them, you know. So that might be 
right on the very first day in terms of an induction. You could start before that because you could send them some information about your workplace before they start on that first day Mm -hmm. and then have some sort of induction on their first day and then make sure you're regularly touching base and training them throughout their employment. Fantastic. And the last mistake, Jo? Last one, number five, is just thinking that hip, hip, hooray, you've done it, you've got them, everything's all good and you don't manage them after that point. Yeah, so no management. No management, yeah. So you've, you've set all of this up and then you forget to protect it. You know, it's, you've got this wonderful thing in place and it might be that a performance issue pops up or a behaviour issue and you might make excuses. Some of the good ones that I've heard are, oh, but they're so good at their job, you know, I just I have to put up with that little bit of, you know, weird behavior that they show every now and then, or the fact that they're not nice to some of the other staff because they're so good at their job and I really need them. Yep. Or maybe you're too busy. Um, or sometimes it's, there's so much client work going on that I can't afford to lose a staff member, member right now. I need all the bums on the seats. Yep. But you know, if you don't deal with those performance or behavior issues then they just get bigger and bigger and those people think that that's normal and they just keep doing it and it gets harder to manage. And listen, I it's I won't say where, but uh, one of my old jobs uh, working in mental health, uh, yeah. you know, there's this particular person there who's been there for probably 30 years. And you can see from a bird's view eye that they're trying to basically just get her out, right? Yeah. Um, and I don't disagree that the behavior she exhibits aren't right, but I'm like, you've allowed her to do this for 30 years. So yeah. I'm like, I'm actually rooting for her not to, you know I mean, get put out of this particular organization because I'm like, actually take some responsibility. She mm-hmm. actually thinks that what she's doing is normal. Like, and so to untrain 30 years of this behavior, it's not going to happen because it's like, I mean, we work in mental health for goodness sakes, right? We know that you can't just train the brain. It takes a long time to, to counteract things. And I just think, is that organization? I was like, I'm just, I'm rooting for this lady, to be honest, because I'm just like, no, this is not okay, what they're doing and the way they're treating her. Uh, And I'm like, you, you never performance managed her up until the last 18 months. And there's probably, yeah. you know, I just think, oh, well, good luck to that organization because, uh, yeah, I think, uh, <laughs> you know, they, they have failed to manage her, you know, yeah, uh, correctly. Yeah. And yeah, so for, for, I guess when we look at the managing and I guess I want to back up a little bit in regards to like, how important do you think it is to have policies and procedures in place before bringing on a new person? Because as we know, when we're first starting out, some of us, like I said, we're just winging it. We're trying to keep our head above the water. And I think there is a level of degree that sometimes you got to bring someone on and you do just kind of go, okay, great. Like you may have the position description. You've got a few things, but you're like, listen, in regards to your day-to-day stuff, we're just going to have to work this out and see how it goes because you're brand new. I've never had this position before, but you know, just, I just think about the example I use with my clients is if you walked into Target or into Walmart or Big W, whatever country you live in, where you're listening from, your first day as a, let's just say contractor or employee, because I believe you still have to train both of them regardless of what category they're in. Yes. You, those organizations, you would walk in and they would have like a manual about, you know, say the code of conduct, or they would have a manual about what the expectations are. Potentially you're signing a confidentiality form or whatever that looks like for your business. How important do you think it is to have these things in place before bringing someone new on board? I've always struggled with this one because I'm not into having standard documents and I also don't think you should burden your business with a massive amount of documents before you need them. Mm -hmm. I think when you are taking on your first employee, 
then you don't need to worry. I think your your first step is make sure you've got that job description, the employment contract, and the code of conduct. They are the three most important and fundamental documents that you can have. Mm-hmm. And that code of conduct is really essential because it's about behavior and, you know, how you want people to perform. So if you've got an issue, if someone, you know, is talking in a certain way and one of your behaviors and values is respect, you can have a conversation with them and you can go, hey, you know, remember you looked at this code of conduct and signed this and said you understood it. Well, the way you're talking to that person, that's not my view of respect. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it gives you a foundation and a way to have a conversation that might feel otherwise confronting. As you grow a little bit, then you might start to implement things as as they come up. So um, at, at a certain point, you need to get it all in um, and that'll be different for every business. It's not necessarily based on how many employees you, employees you have. Um, but some of the other things that I would then recommend when you're ready for the next things are um, make sure you've got that induction process sorted as well um, and then think about things like performance um, policies and complaint management policies. If you've got a dispute between two staff members, that is one of the most debilitating things that you can have in a business because it's impacting so many people. Everyone, yeah, because it's a cultural impact, really. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Whereas if it's just a performance issue with one person, that impacts others because, you know, that person's not performing the way you need them to, but you can deal with it with that one person. But as soon as it's a dispute between two or more people, it just then you've got everyone taking sides, you've got people taking sick leave because they can't work with a person and it really um, can damage your business. So having some sort of complaint resolution process is really important. No, fantastic. Now, I also know that we talked briefly about the importance of a again, post-hiring, right? Yeah. And, but, but also that communication element of it. And I know a lot of big gurus, and again, we'll talk about it, and I agree to some point that when you start to grow your business uh, and you do start to bring on team members, one of the quickest ways to not succeed is by having that regular communication, even if it's just a 15, 20-minute check-in with like, you know, trainings or weekly meetings, uh, yes. et cetera. So I guess that's important from a scalability and a growth point of view. But would you equally say that training and weekly meetings and support also go hand in hand with that retention and not having to hire again? And, and, you know, what are your thoughts about that? Absolutely. You know, I'm not a big one. Like tradition is that we have an annual performance review. I think they're a bit of a waste of time. Yeah, you might want to do that annually from a perspective of looking at their salary. But from performance perspective, I really... um, like you suggested, I think it's got to be a lot more regular. And I like the old project management approach of, you know, if you've, if you've done a project or a task and this, depending on how your business works, you might be able to do it like project by project or client job by client job um, or month to month, whatever. But it's that idea of, hey, what went right? What went wrong? And what can we do better? Mm-hmm. And if you're doing that on a regular basis with someone, they are going to be getting um, up leveled so much faster than if you just allow them to just you know wander off and do the job that they think they're supposed to be doing no again an amazing episode joe uh, i hope that for the listeners out there this has got you thinking obviously i have listeners from around the world so obviously joe is wa lawyer here in australia but what joe's talking about too will equally be applied to some degree i'm assuming in, depending on what state and country you live in obviously again i this disclosure you need to make sure you speak with the state or do you mean country that you live in because what we're talking about may or may not be applicable specifically to you um but for those listeners joe out there that would like to get to know a little bit more about you 
uh, potentially, you know, look at hiring you to do X, Y, and Z for their own business and look at things from contractors, employees, and HR stuff? How can they find you? Sure. They can go to the website, which is just 3dhrlegal.com.au or um, connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I love doing that and finding people over there. And also if they're interested in the juggle stuff, then they can check out that podcast on thejuggle.com.au. And just so everyone in Australia does know, I have clients across Australia. So I love working and um, with my clients over East and, you know, visiting them on sometimes too, which is good fun. No, fantastic. Thank you for clarifying that. Uh, Now, final question, Joe is something I've only just started bringing into the episodes, but what do you know now that you wish you knew when you first started out in business? Oh, that's a good one. Um, One of the things that I often say to people is to invest in yourself. And that's something I actually wish I really knew when I was employed, because I think that it's something that people who are employed often leave to the side. And as business owners, sometimes I think it's something that they take a while to do as well. But it's so important to invest in, you know, whether it's getting a great business coach or whether it's upskilling in a particular area. You know, spend some money on it, spend some time on it because it's going to make all the difference. Yeah. I, listen, you're speaking my language there. I couldn't agree more. I think it's um, investing in yourself. And I, I think I actually said this on the last podcast I was recording is that I genuinely believe that people don't get the opportunity to experience a transformation yes. until a transaction has happened. Yeah. Um, and that transaction, it may be good, it may be bad, but there's still transformation. Like there's plenty of things that I've either paid to go to events or courses or whatever. And I'm just like, yeah, that probably wasn't so good. But I also have to go, was it good? Or maybe I just didn't need it at that particular time. But whatever it was, I still had a transformation because there was a commitment, there was accountability, and I was genuinely stepping up. So I totally agree that investing in yourself has not only short-term gain, but much longer long-term gain than what people actually think. It's my favorite thing about having been in business is the personal growth that I've personally gone through. Mm-hmm. No, it's been, and I think that also how it um, rolls into also your personal life, right? Not mm-hmm. only as you as an individual, but potentially your family, your community, yep. et cetera. Like it's, it really truly is a knock on effect. Yes. So now, well, listen, well, thank you so much, Joe, for being on today. And before we sign off, please remember that my team and I will also be putting together the whole transcription for this episode at AngelaHenderson.com.au. And of course, I cover all sorts of related business and life topics inside my super active Facebook community, the Australian Business Collaborative. We're about to hit 6,000 members, which is super exciting. Uh, But for the rest of you, have a fabulous day. And I look forward to you joining me next week for another amazing episode of the Business and Life Conversations podcast. Thanks again today, Joe. Thanks, Ange. It's been fun. Thanks for listening to the Business and Life Conversations podcast with Angela Henderson. www.angelahenderson.com.au.